Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it. We keep it reals. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Hey, Mama Bears and Papa Bears. Welcome to the first podcast of 2020. So we have a few changes that we're going to start making in the new year, the first of which is we're going to give helpful updates, reminders, and announcements at the beginning of each podcast. So our announcements for today are a reminder that if you cannot make it out to the Women in Apologetics Conference in California, never fear. We are doing the absolute best live stream event out of all the conferences that we've done so far. So not only will the worship and keynote speakers be live streamed, but you will have a full day of breakout sessions on Saturday. So it won't be like being in person where you get to pick which breakout you want to attend. But any breakout that's in the main auditorium will be featured on the live stream. And I posted a list of all the topics today on the Mama Bear Apologetics Facebook page. So head over there to see what all is included and, you know, Grab together a bunch of friends and do your own little mini conference from home. And the best part is you can attend in your pajamas if you want to. So I call that a win-win. Secondly, my talk at Frisco Bible Church on February 5th has been postponed. So that's just a little update. But we do have two more Mama Bear speaking engagements coming up. One with me and one with our world religions expert, who is now the new executive director of Mama Bear Apologetics. So that's Lindsay Medenwalt. Lindsay will be speaking at the Discipleship Now, it's also called DNOW Conference, for middle schoolers and high schoolers at First Denton, that's the name of the church, First Denton, this weekend, January 17th through 19th. She will be posting details on that on our Mama Bear Facebook page later today. So it's about $40 for three days of conference, and the theme is uncomfortable. (laughs) No, I'm serious. That's the theme. The the theme itself is titled Uncomfortable. So uh, if you have students who have wondered how to get past those awkward or uncomfortable conversations, then this is the conference for you. So Lindsay will be speaking on how to have conversations with those of other religions, a very important topic. And then I, Hillary, will be speaking at Grace Church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota on February 22nd from, I believe, 9 to 12. I'm not sure if we have that 100% nailed down. But we're going to be going over topics from the Mama Bear book and learning how parents can start sifting through the worldviews prevalent in today's culture. Uh, And next, we are wanting to put together a prayer team for Mama Bear Apologetics. And I know many of you have already have already expressed interest through when you signed up for our newsletter and being involved with prayer. So we are going to be contacting you within the next few months to really start putting a team together. And if you would be interested in joining the prayer team, I will have the person for you to email probably by the next podcast. We are working at getting someone to head up the prayer team right now. Uh, And then finally, we are so thankful for the people who have been financially giving to Mama Bear Apologetics. We are only about 10% funded for the next year. And so we're still asking people for support. And we have a few ways that you can give. Uh, First off, uh, we would really love it if some of you would contact your churches and especially your mission boards to see if they would be willing to put Mama Bear Apologetics as one of their missionaries, basically. Um, and so we have a tax-deductible way to give for that. Uh, we also have, uh, if you want to give a small monthly donation through our Patreon, we have created a Patreon page, and you can visit that at patreon.com forward slash Mama Bear Apologetics and see all the different giving tiers and the, you know, the goodies that come with each. Um, and so one of the new things that we're offering is more detailed podcast notes. So uh, the current podcast notes are going to be streamlined down to basically the main topics. We'll still have the main topics discussed, the people and the resources mentioned and stuff like that. 
Uh, but however, for small monthly donation, you can receive a more detailed podcast notes, which includes a lot of the subtopics and timestamps. Uh, so you can easily search who said what and when. We hope that uh, these will kind of help continue to equip yourselves as you equip your children, because we say this over and over again, but it's because we really believe it. Mama Bears and Papa Bears, we are truly all in this together. So without further ado, here is the first podcast of 2020. Welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary. And I'm Amy. And so today we're going to be talking about a very kind of a time sensitive but delicate topic. I know that we said that we were going to immediately start back into the Richard Dawkins and the New Year's, but this is one of those things that when, when you have something that comes up in the culture, you kind of have to seize the moment because mm-hmm. this is when people are talking about it. And hopefully we can get this out in, in time where people are still talking about this. But today we're going to be talking about the painful lessons that we are learning from the hashtag wake up olive mm. hashtag. <laughs> yeah, the hashtag. Sorry, this, this is not funny, but the wake up olive hashtag. Amy, do you want to kind of summarize a little bit? Because I think you can pronounce the last name better than I can. Of kind of like what what exactly happened with this? What's the background on the Wake Up Olive hashtag? So if you've seen it on social media, you may have it out of Bethel Church in Redding, California. There was a worship leader's family that they had a two-year-old daughter named Olive. And sweet little thing. I believe it was about a week ago, Saturday. The parents went into the bedroom and she was not breathing. She was not awake. They they tried to resuscitate her, I believe, there, but she had already passed. They took her to the hospital and the doctors there declared her that she had deceased or she had died. And they had then moved her to a mortuary. And so they there hadn't been an autopsy that was done right away. So they don't know what had caused it. I think you mean a morgue. Mortuary is where they actually oh, do the funeral. Morgue. Thank yes. you. So the morgue. She's in the morgue. Yes. The coroner's office, yes. So she that's where she was being kept. And so then for the next several days, the family had asked the, and these were the worship leaders' family, had asked the church if it was okay to pray for resurrection. And so for the next six plus days, there was a, quite a big Instagram campaign. There were reporters that had gone out and interviewed the family. And they were basically every day gathering for worship and praying over their speaking life, declaring life into Olive. And so this hashtag wake up Olive campaign started to where they were just trying to, they were asking God to resurrect their two-year-old daughter, Olive. They just released a statement here two days ago, I believe, finally saying that no, the resurrection hadn't happened for their daughter and they were now preparing for her funeral. And so that was Mm -hmm. kind of this big thing that came up within social media is, is just sort of this rather bold and for some very odd campaign to resurrect this toddler. So that that's a good summary of everything that's happened. And I think there is, we, we cannot pay this podcast enough reverence to recognizing that there are real hurting people mm. that are behind the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. But at the same time, there's a difference between someone's private pain and making a public pain into also a public claim, which is what I kind of see going on here. And I got to be honest, I've actually been encouraged by the number of people who have kind of spoken up really tentatively on social media saying like, I really feel bad for this family, but something's not sitting right with me here. Yeah. And so I think for that purpose alone, we need to address the theology behind this. And we need to address what are some of the main messages? What are some of the misconceptions? What are some of the dangers Mm -hmm. with the messages that have been coming out? Because we don't do this podcast because we want to have aha moments with people. Well, we want aha moments, but not the aha, you like, I gotcha, I gotcha. We don't want gotcha moments. We want to encourage people in the true faith and we want to remove barriers that are going to prevent them from having faith. And I think there's a lot of stuff that was going on with this uh, wake up all of hashtag that Mm -hmm. is actually going to really be detrimental to some people's faith. So we're going to talk about kind of the the seven main themes that we kind of saw emerging out of this movement, shall we say. And then we're going to try to discuss it with grace and with truth and uh, recognizing that the scripture calls us to mourn with those who mourn and to grieve with those who grieve. And we're going to do this in a way that shows respect and shows mourning and shows grief. I can really say, honestly, I just got through going through this last year. And a lot of the messages that we're going to discuss here kind of hit close to home because I kid you not, and I wasn't planning on sharing this, 
after my sister died last year, I, I ran and I was, you know, working on the book. I ran myself into the ground so badly that I was in mm-hmm. the hospital for a week. I had some of my organs shutting down. Like my whole body basically says, I am, I am not going to keep doing this anymore. You know, we done. And while I was there, I had a friend say, hey, would you like one of my friends to come pray with you? And I thought, yeah, sure, that would be great. And so she said, well, actually, it's my sister's friend. And she sent this friend out. And this, this friend, very well-meaning, starts telling me about how cancer has no power over me. And for those who don't know, I have a history of cancer. And my sister also just died of cancer. We both had it in our 30s. It's the type of cancer that you're not supposed to get to. You're really old. And even my, my particular type of cancer is not just in old people. And it's not just in old men. It's in old black men. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, Yeah, I I didn't know if you knew that or not. So it's like, it's not the normal type of cancer. So when she's sitting there declaring that cancer has no power, and I just buried my sister a couple weeks ago from cancer, I started physically shaking while I was there because I'm saying this is this is not what I'm placing my hope in. I am not placing my hope in the idea that God has given me power over cancer. Mm -hmm. I'm placing my hope in the fact that God is good cancer or no cancer. I was like physically shaking. I think I was I was still basically kind of in a state of PTSD from the stuff that I'd witnessed with my sister in her final days. I was her caretaker for that last month or two. And I'll just say it's it's not like the movies. It was ugly. This topic here is especially personal to me because I had people telling me these exact same things. And I had to actively renew my mind with what scripture teaches to keep from putting my faith in the wrong thing. So the main messages that we're going to talk about today that come from this, this uh, wake up all of hashtag is number one, I want us to distinguish between leadership and the followers, because as you and I were preparing for this podcast, we actually listened to the Bill Johnson video that's kind of the Bethel's official stance. And and we were both kind of struck that this is a lot more humble yes, and a lot more balanced than a lot of the stuff that we're hearing kind of from the, the people in social media, you know, because social media people are so yeah. <laughs> totally well known for being completely balanced and rational. Yes. So that's our first point. Second one is this idea of faith in faith more than faith in God. And it's this idea that declaring is the same thing as faith, which Number two and number three kind of go together. So number three being, we can declare God's will and he is bound to our declarations, which we literally heard people. We're going to share some of the Instagram and, yeah. and social media things that we saw that someone's literally saying this. Number four, which which I personally dealt with uh, with someone in one of the groups on Facebook that I'm in, is this idea that if you doubt that God will, then that's equivalent to doubting that he can. And this is the number one thing that I saw being spoken back and forth between the proud declaration faith proclaimers and the, I don't want to call them naysayers, but some of them are naysayers. And some of them, I think we're just trying to kind of have a healthy theology. But this was the the accusation is that basically, if you're saying that God won't do it, then you're saying that he can't do it. And those are not the same thing. Right. Yeah, it was definitely Uh, those more critical. And I don't mean critical as in like condescending, but more critical of, okay, wait, let's look a little deeper in this. That was kind of, that was the thing that was fired back at him is, oh, you're just saying he can't. And and we'll get to Uh that here in a bit on why that's false. Yes. And so number five would be Christ. And this is the one that was actually given to me while I was in the hospital. Christ's payment of sin and promise of resurrection is for the here and now. It's like they use the verses about, you know, by his wounds, we have been healed and Mm -hmm. They're not, I'm like, yeah, we have, we've been been saved and healed from the power of sin, not from every single physical ailment. And we're going to go into verses of how we can see that that's not the case. Number six is, I think, kind of the most contentious one that we have here, because I think there's a real strong case to be made for this and against this. And that's that Christ commanded us to heal the sick and raise the dead. I I don't want to say that they have no point, because they actually do have some precedent for that. But uh, we're going to talk about... Do we think that it is what what they're saying that is? And then number seven, and this kind of goes into just the problem of evil in general. And that's this idea that we're entitled to a long, healthy life. That is God's will all the time. And that that's basically a lot of times they're saying, you know, God, uh, Jesus's death and resurrection basically paved the way and paid the price and, and, and made it possible for us to have a long life. And I would say... You know, not to not to you know give it away too much. That's absolutely the case. But this life isn't the one that he paid for to be long and healthy and happy. I think that we're talking about two different things: the temporal life and the eternal life in there. So those are kind of our main messages. So we're going to go through each of those 
try to keep this in, in still a, a short enough time period to where we can finish. But I think each of these are important to discuss just for people who might be tempted to follow this theology down a really dangerous track. So first off, the distinguishing between the leadership and the followers, and we're going to post the Bill Johnson video. So Bill Johnson is the, I guess he's the founder and the leader of Bethel Church in Reading. I, yeah, I think so, he took over. It was like the, either the late 90s, early 2000s, like they had sort of this shift and focus on revival. And I think that was kind of more his doing. Whatever, however it comes out, he's, he's kind of the leader now. And so he, ha- he released a video that came out several days after, I believe, the family started praying for the resurrection of this child. There are some things in there that we can agree with and some things that we, we don't. But the, the thing that you and I were both struck with was that the way that he was talking was very different than the way that we saw people portraying this on social media and mm-hmm. sometimes even in the worship services. And so we, we don't want to disregard the fact that the people that are under his tutelage, shall we say, are coming away with a very strong perception that what they're saying is the same as what he's saying. But I'm just going to point out Something that I've noticed within, I say, denominations, and I'll say particularly for this one within the charismatic denomination, Mm -hmm. I think every denomination has their own pitfalls, but this one would be particular to the charismatic denomination. And that is, they're kind of afraid to put caveats to God's promises or things that they perceive as God's promises, because putting a caveat to it saying, if it's the Lord's will, which it's funny that we didn't put that as one of our verses, but there's even that verse in scripture, which we'll have to find that says, don't say today or tomorrow, I'm going to go do this or that, but instead, if it's the Lord's will. Yes. But for some reason, adding that caveat a lot of times makes it like you're diminishing the amount of faith. And so I think he was good that he does include the possibility that God is not going to act the way that we're, that we expect him to act. But a majority of the video is emphasizing we are declaring this, we're saying this in faith. But again, I think it's important to look at the leadership and look at the original stuff and not just the followers. So to know that maybe some of the people that are over declaring God's promises may not be faithful to what he's actually teaching. But at the same time, I can understand where they get that impression. And I think what's important to note too, is when you start looking this up on Instagram, which you can, if you just go to Bethel Music or Bethel Church, you know, you can see the pictures and you can follow along some of the comments. Or search the hashtag, hashtag. Oh yeah. Or hashtag wake up olive and that'll bring all of, or the majority of that up. One thing to remember too, is that some of the folks that are commenting aren't actually folks that are part of the church. They're people that are just sort of following along, that sort of thing. So we do have to be careful that, you know, we don't automatically assume that Everybody who's speaking is speaking for the church. So yeah, it's just having that, that bit of salt and grace there. But yeah, it is interesting. You do notice a difference between Bill Johnson's video and then some of the comments that are within Instagram. Sometimes they're, they're starkly different. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the main things that he said in his video, which some of them we agree with and some of them we don't. I'd say that uh, there's a lot of things that were concerning at the beginning and then towards the very end, kind of like I said, they finally started kind of giving the caveats. But from my experience, just because the, the church that I'm in has, has a strong theological bent, but they've also got a different part of the church that has a strong charismatic bent. So I've actually seen this within my own church that it's kind of that focusing on the certainty, focusing mm-hmm. on the faith and every now and then kind of adding in the caveat of like, well but God's still good. Or even if he doesn't, that's usually not the main thing that's being focused on. Yeah. The interesting things that I believe it was John fourteen fourteen, where, you know, he's talking about anything that you ask for in my name will be given to you. And one of the things I, I liked is, I believe is the Ellicott's commentary. It referenced that that was more or less declaration of his divinity, not necessarily a guarantee that whatever you ask for is going to be given. And I mean, you even see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's like, if it's possible, you know, take mm-hmm. this cup away from me, but, you know, in accordance to your will. And so you do see him, you know, asking for something, the Son of God asking for something and then saying, you know, but it's your will ultimately. And so in some of the Instagram comments, you don't see that there. It's no, 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 this is what yeah. it is. And this is what we're going to mm-hmm. get it because we've declared it and that sort of thing. There isn't a whole, you know, let's see what God's will is. It's just, yeah. no, I've declared it, boom, it's going to happen. So the official statement, we, we kind of took some notes from the Bill Johnson video. And again, we'll, we'll put that, we'll embed that in the podcast notes. So here, here's a couple of statements that we just kind of wrote down. One of the things he said is, we have a biblical precedent. Jesus raised the dead. He introduced himself as the resurrection and the life. And again, I think that the, 
yes, this is true, but what resurrection is he talking about? Mm. Is he talking about a temporary resurrection or is he talking about eternal resurrection? Because I think this, this emphasis on temporary resurrection, there's, there's not been a single believer ever besides Jesus, even for people who were raised from the dead, everybody still died again. Yes. Across the board. Right. We don't have a single, per- we don't, what was that character from Harry Potter that, uh, the, the alchemist? Uh, oh my gosh, I shouldn't do this. Nicholas Flamel. Flamel. Yes. We don't have any Nicholas Flamels <laughs> where we have evidence of this great, great saint just kind of kept praying for healing and kept praying for resurrection. And it just kept happening. We have nothing of that. So what would be the point? Je- Jesus didn't come and die and rise again so that he could give us a couple more years. Because when you, when you look at the percentage of time between, you know, the, we'll just say you live a really good long life, 90 years mm-hmm. that you get here. Yeah. And put that in light of eternity. So if anyone who knows math, just the idea of put 90 over infinity, it's always going to come out to basically one over infinity. It's such a drop in the bucket. Yeah. That why would we be focusing on this? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that, that's one of his statements. Another one was, why did Jesus, this is one of the ones you and I disagree with a lot. Why did Jesus raise the dead? Did he violate the sovereignty of God? Did we have the Father will one thing and Jesus another? Of course not. The reason Jesus raises the dead is that not everyone dies in God's timing. Yeah, I thought that was really odd phrasing. I was like, ooh, yeah, no, I can't. I don't know that I can buy into that one. Because again, Mm -hmm. that that means that there are things that are going on that are outside of God's sovereignty. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I wonder if he says that to kind of avoid falling into the whole, well, do we have free will or not type of debate. But yeah, I just, I can't get on board with that one. Now that I'm reading that sentence again, it almost seems like it contradicts itself. It's saying that it's asking, are we violating the sovereignty of God? Did we have the Father will one thing and Jesus another? Of course not. But then he says, basically, we had the Father will one thing and Jesus another yeah. in the next sentence. Yeah. So I think that that's concerning. And I, I think that is pure speculation that if we look at any of the resurrections that happen in scripture, and I believe there's 10, I'll, I'll post the, the link to the article that's like the 10 resurrections it's always dealing with either someone who was like a either an apostle Mm. or elijah (laughs) yeah like so major major prophet that was there for a specific period of time to perform signs and wonders to authenticate a message yeah it wasn't just for the sake of resurrection because someone was sad it was authenticating the message even jesus when John the Baptist is in prison and he's asking his followers to go ask Jesus, are you the one we're supposed to wait for? Or should we wait for another? And I kind of jokingly call this the hold my beer moment where Jesus <laughs> is like, hold that thought. And then he goes and he performs miracles. And then he turns around and says, go tell John what you've seen and heard. The, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he might have said the dead are raised. Now, I can't remember now. But anyway, it was taking messianic prophecy of things the Messiah would do. So Jesus was using this resurrection power as authentication of his message. It wasn't just, yeah, it wasn't just because someone was grieving. There was a lot of grieving people that were there. It's not like Jesus only came across, you know, one or two people that died. In his ministry, he came across a lot more. He was strategic and we may not know why, but he still performed those signs to authenticate his message. Next uh, in the official Bethel statement is, we have a biblical precedent, Jesus's lifestyle and commands. And again, this kind of goes with our point where we said, did, I think number six, did Jesus really command this? He also says, we don't know how long to keep praying and fasting. Luke 18.1 is a whole story about the importance of persistent prayer. I'm assuming that's the persistent widow. I forgot to look that up. The end of Hebrews 10 and the beginning of Hebrews 11 talk about enduring the faith, the faith that endures past what everybody would expect. Right. And what, what would you say about this faith that he's talking about here? Well, and he even mentions, you know, and I thought it was interesting afterward, he's like, well, we may get some things right, we may get some things wrong. And I think what he was trying to address, or address was how people were saying, you know, you guys were having these sort of revival events six plus days, you know, while this mm-hmm. little girl is, is waiting for burial and that sort of thing. And so people were kind of wondering, like, what are you doing this? Why are you doing this for? And he's basically saying, you know, we, we don't really have a blueprint for how this is supposed to work. So we're just kind of, you know, we're, we're just going to keep praying and fasting and then just go until, you know, we feel like time has ended. 
And so yeah. he was just trying to sort of explain the the reasoning behind why they were having these these sort of revival events. And to be fair, I can't knock that. I think that if you feel like the Lord's calling you to do that, it's fine. The problem that I have is when you create a global movement that's literally saying that God's faithfulness is contingent upon all your pronouncement be, pronouncements being fulfilled, which right. we'll see in the social media stuff. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what was going on. I have nothing against praying for the miraculous. I believe I, I will, <laughs> for the record, both Amy and I would like to officially say we believe God can. Yes. We do not put a limit on what God can do. But at the same time, we have to look at how people are proclaiming these things. And when you're putting God's character on the line, that's dangerous line to tread. Yeah. And then finally, this is where we saw him. Like, I I think this is where he was kind of being humble and kind of the things that you said. But he also says, when it doesn't work, we don't blame God. Mm -hmm. We give him the glory. We give him the praise. We celebrate his goodness, his kindness, because nothing about our experience, difficult or not, changes who he is. Mm. That's the message that I would like to see being preached, because that, to me, is what Scripture teaches. Right. Yeah, and you see kind um, of a, a bit of a drifting from that, which which we'll touch on later, because there are some folks who are, who are commenting, who are saying, praise Olive for this revival, praise Olive mm-hmm. for this resurrection, meaning resurrection of just this renewing of the faith within the church. And we're just like, oh my goodness, hold up, folks. You know, when you're, when you're praising somebody else instead of Christ for work that Christ is doing, you know, you do have to be very careful in that. And so yeah. that's, that's just some of the sketchiness that we're just trying to sift out. Yeah, that, that is concerning when you found that on there is like praise Olive. Oh my gosh, people are so desperate. I think one of the things that we're seeing with this, and this is something that I've noticed, our world is so broken. And I think people are so desperate to believe in something beyond themselves. And But we, we have this idea that unless it happens right now before, our, unless it's mm-hmm. something new, then it, it's like old hat. It's like the resur- the res- I think it's concerning when we place another being's resurrection as more important to our faith than Christ's resurrection. Because mm-hmm. they're asking for something that we already know is possible right. because Jesus did rise from the dead and we have good reasons to believe that. And um, I'll be taking the resurrection class at Biola, assuming no more health problems <laughs> <laughs> in March and April. And so we'll have a nice long podcast series on that because that's kind of what got me into apologetics in the first place when I was 12, is looking at, oh my gosh, this actually makes sense. And it, it takes more faith to believe that something else happened than, than, than the resurrection. And so that's the resurrection we should be looking at. And this idea that we're always looking for something new is, is concerning. So that, that was the first point, just this idea between distinguishing between the leadership and the followers. So we're going to try to go through some of the rest of these points, not too quickly, but quickly enough. So number two, we're going to talk about faith in faith more than faith in God. What was the thing that you were saying about, or maybe it was the verse that I read? Uh, oh, no, it was the Bill Johnson. It was his thing where he talks about the, the end of Hebrews 10 and the beginning of Hebrews 11, talking about enduring faith. Mm-hmm. People have this idea that we need to have faith in faith. If I can muster up this faith, then that's kind of the goal. And it's, it's really kind of missing the point of that we're putting our faith in someone. Right. Yeah, you definitely, and, uh, you definitely see it was sort of this, I, I have faith in this belief. And it's just sort of this, I don't know, circular reasoning of, oh, well, I, I have this, this faith, this thing that this could happen. And it's just kind of this fueling of this feeling that you see a lot within the comments. That's an excellent point that this idea of the fueling of the feeling, which I don't know, I feel like someone recently wrote an article about this. Maybe somebody <laughs> Who was on this it? podcast. Oh, I don't know. It was a great article. So if you want to look up it's in the Mama Bear book. I believe it's chapter 11. And uh, no, is it not chapter 11? I'm looking up at my table of contents. It's chapter 10. Chapter 10, <laughs> emotionalism. And then also, sorry about that. And then also a recent article in the Christian Research Journal on responding to the rise of emotionalism. This idea of the more I feel it, the more true it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing with this faith is people are having to whip themselves into a frenzy of feeling this belief mm-hmm. rather than just trusting in what God has said. And that, in that sense, it's faith in faith. So uh, why don't you le- uh, read us uh, one, of the, <laughs> one of the social media things, uh, how about the crowning jewels Okay, and then the two answers that she got. All right. So this is kind of what was being discussed within the comments. It says global family, which she's referring to, it's pretty much the, the Bethel community, I believe, because I've heard that used a couple of times as global family in reference to that. We're asking yeah. you to join us 
in faith right now as we declare life over this little girl named Olive. She's been pronounced dead by doctors, but we believe she's going to rise again. We invite you now to join your faith to all of us who are declaring that she is about to literally bodily come back to life. Will you believe, pray, and declare with us? Wake up, Olive. And then the answers, it says, she will live and not die for the glory of God. And the person responded back with an agreement. She will wake up in Jesus' name. And there were so many people that they would type like on day three, they were like, day three is a good day for a resurrection. The mom would mm-hmm. write that and then people would be like, it's going to happen. I feel it. I feel it. It's going to happen. I, I had a dream. It. Yeah. Oh yeah. There were people yeah. like, oh, well, I had a dream where I've just been thinking about it and it's just, I feel it. And amen. You know, people would just, it was just constant sort of this fueling of this, this faith and the faith that it's going to happen. And I think it was interesting, this person who responded an agreement. So it's like, if you declare this, you have now made an agreement with God and he's bound to that agreement. Mm. Uh, which is actually one of our next points. Let's not skip ahead. So let's talk about what the problem. And this is a a verse that I I didn't see anyone saying because I don't want to be disrespectful to what the family was trying to do. So I'm going to say this is not, I think that there's almost no parent out there who would not go overboard and trying to get a miracle for their child. Right. So we are not going to fault them for that. However, I want to address the global community on this and kind of what's going on. So what's happening is, is, is this is becoming a longing mm-hmm. for signs and wonders more than a longing for Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is a passage that I haven't heard anybody quote, but it's like, this is the one that kind of kept coming to mind. And I believe that this passage happens pretty close after the feeding of the 5,000. So basically you just have this big, fat, miraculous sign, and this happens right after. So in Matthew 16, one through four, it says, then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and tested Jesus by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. I'll just skip two and three, but number four is a wicked, this is Jesus responding, a wicked and adulterous generation demands a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And you know, you you did see a bit of that within the comments, but it was almost this sort of rationalizing or justification. It was just like, how amazing would this be if this happened? And oh, all of, Mm -hmm. you know, come back and sing what songs were sung, say what you saw, these things is, wouldn't it be amazing? Mm. Think of how many, one person was like, think of how many hundreds of thousands would come back to the faith if this would happen. And it's just kind of this, this sort of rationalization for this request is, oh, look at, look yeah. at how much it could, it could bring you glory. And that's true, it would. But we do have to, be, have to be careful that the focus is in the right place. I mean, full transparency, my husband and I, uh, in between my first and second boys, we were expecting a little girl and mm-hmm. uh, we had some complications that started to arise and we had gone to the doctor and they, they did scans. They said, well, maybe we didn't date the pregnancy uh, right. Maybe we were off because it isn't as far along as it's supposed to be. And then after another day of continued issues, we came back in. They said, no, you know, there's, there's no heartbeat. I'm sorry. You just have to go mm-hmm. home and wait. And so for three <laughs> days, I'm sitting at home and he had to go into work. It was awful. It was just me on the couch, just sitting there for three days which is contraction after contraction. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I'm sitting there like, God, how amazing would it be, you know, for you to, to just stop this right now? You have the power, you can do this, you know, and it would be amazing. And in just a few months when I can hold this baby up and say, look, you know, everyone had said, no, this, this isn't going to happen. You've lost your little one, but you know, here she is. And it was a no, the answer was a no. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with, with praying for God's divine intervention and even just appealing to, to that of it would be an amazing testimony, but we do have yeah. to be careful that we don't get so caught up that we, we find ourselves denying or, or trying just to put off and say, oh, no, this is God's decision. God is actually saying no here. Yeah, I think of the passage also from, I um, can't remember if it was like a story, if it was, I think it was a parable, but it was um, the, the other Lazarus, not the one that got oh, raised right, from the dead. Yeah. So he, he was uh, basically a beggar at the front of a rich man's house mm-hmm. and the rich man basically ignored him all the time. And so in the parable, it shows uh, that the rich man had gone to hell and Lazarus had gone, Lazarus had gone to heaven. And as Jesus and Lazarus are walking, the rich man is saying, please, you know, dip your finger in water. This, this fire is really hot. And would you please go just have someone return to my family mm-hmm. to tell them about this? And Jesus said, basically, if you won't believe the law and the prophets, they're not even going to believe as someone rises from the dead. Mm. And so, but I think it's interesting that we're still asking for that same, that same evidence when it's already been given to us. If you study the evidence, 
that we have seen a resurrection from the dead, but yet we want it to be something new. Yeah. We want it to be a new resurrection. Yeah. In that sense, again, I think it's it's putting another resurrection as more important to faith than Christ. Mm. And that's dangerous ground to be walking on. And again, yes, it, it could absolutely be. It would bring people to faith. And in fact, I heard atheists that were getting into this hashtag on Twitter saying, you know what, if this did happen, I think I'd probably have to rethink my beliefs. Hmm. So could that actually happen? Absolutely. But at the same time, what are they putting faith in? Are they putting faith in that hope that they're going to have all the goodies here on earth? Or are they putting their hope in what we're supposed to have our hope in, which is the fact that Jesus Christ did rise again, paid the price of our sin, and we will live eternally. We will be resurrected. It's just not now. Mm. Yeah. So we're going to move on to number three. And this was one of the ones that I think is the most disturbing to me because of the implications that we can declare God's will and he is bound to our declarations. Yeah, I thought this was interesting. Like I, as a kid, you know, I didn't really grow up too much in the church, but this was definitely something that was totally new was seeing we declare it, we declare it. That was, that was a bit mm-hmm. new for me. Yeah. And for those who are wondering what this is, this is actually called the word faith gospel. It's this idea that our words have binding in the spiritual realm. And do our words have the power of life and death? Absolutely. Scripture says our words have the power of life and death. But a lot of times that's talking about you can you can cut someone down to the the point where they feel so low. It's like our words are powerful. Mm-hmm. That whole, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I always said, I, I made up my own as I was growing up. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will wound me to my core. Because mm. I think that's actually more realistic of what words can do. Well, and you see that in the but, news constantly, you know, just this online bullying that drives kids to take their own life. I mean, that it's yeah. not that they were punched in school or beaten up, that sort of thing. It was these words. So they mm. definitely do have power to build up or tear down. Yeah. I've even heard women talk about that, that are in some sort of like really strong emotional abuse within a, a relationship. And I've literally heard them say, I wish he would just hit me. Weird, huh? It's like this idea of the emotional abuse is so much worse huh. that these words our words do have the power of life and death in a sense. Anyway, so some people would say this idea of we can declare God's will and he's bound to our declarations. They'd say, well, no one's actually saying this. Au contraire, there is someone who is saying this on Instagram, I believe, that here's just a couple of, it was a pretty long one. One of the things she said was, you are faithful to the prophetic words pouring from my mouth. Mm. You are faithful. And you know, they were when you look at the comments and things, they were constantly speaking about the mom. Oh, she's prophesizing. She's prophesizing. And this is, mm-hmm. and they were just waiting. They're like, oh, it's going to happen. And even somebody just recently, they had commented and said, you know, I'm really surprised that these prophetic people, that it didn't happen. And mm-hmm. so you can see how these sorts of claims and things can really actually can cause some damage within the church. Yes. And so it kind of goes on with the, the same person. I mean, there was just a whole gold mine in her, in her Instagram. She says, it's not just hype. It's not just a hashtag. Mm-hmm. It's his promise capitalized his. It's his will. It's his goodness. It's his character. Praise Jesus that we don't live in defeat and that death has no hold. Mm. Oh. Was she the one that said that he defeated the graves, plural? <sighs> Maybe. I can't remember. I, did, I actually didn't include the name on the, this one just because this one's so... This one's so disturbing, I just didn't even include the name on it so that we can discuss the idea. But she has literally just said that God's promises, God's will, God's goodness, and God's character are on the line Mm -hmm. if he does not fulfill this request. Yeah, I can't even begin to say the kind of damage that this can do to someone's faith if they have decided, if they have bought into this and said, if I muster up Again, the emotion, I need to, I need to muster up this emotion of belief mm-hmm. and then it doesn't happen. If they're putting all their faith in the fact that God will do something now instead of something that God has done in the past, you've basically demolished someone's faith in one fell swoop. If they truly, truly believe that God, that Jesus's goodness and character are riding on this. Well, it really, it really puts that person sort of in the driver's seat. It's I'm dictating how God's power is going to be used. God, you better mm-hmm. keep up and you better meet me halfway because I've already, I'm already on this path. Yeah. And, and to be fair, there are, there actually is a precedent for this in the Old Testament. I think the times when 
Like we talked in one of our previous podcasts about how the Old Testament's like a story of one failure to the next. <laughs> if you're trying to look for people to imitate, don't go to the Old Testament. But uh, there were times when I remember, uh, I think it was Moses praying when, when the Lord's like, fine, I'm just going to wipe everybody out. And I'm just starting with you, Moses. And Moses starts saying, no, Lord, you are the one that brought them out of Egypt. If you, if you take them out now, people are going to say this people who the Lord brought out, he brought them out just to die. This is your character on the line. And in that sense, yes, you can actually absolutely do that because God, in that instance, God had made promises. Mm-hmm. He, had, he had physically made prophecy and promises specifically about the Israelites going into the land. And so he could be held to his word. There was an actual covenant that was made there. We can't take other people's covenants. Sorry, I'm getting all kind of hot and bothered here. We can't take other people's covenants and say that applies to everyone. That's not how covenants work. Well, and do you Um, think that maybe that's part of the the phrasing issue? Because he he speaks of precedent and precedent is it's an act or an event that is basically prescriptive. It means that, well, Jesus did it. So that means we're going to do it or we should do it and, and that sort of thing. Do you think that maybe some of that is because of that whole, well, this is a precedent and saying, well, so this has to be how it has to be. Do you think maybe that might be feeling part of it? I think this is a completely new concept. And honestly, I think it's based on our current legal system. The fact that we have this concept of precedences, 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 <laughs> that's what it's called. We do have a, um, in the legal system that if you have a precedent, meaning that there was some legal ruling that was done in the past, mm-hmm. you can actually bring that forward in order to influence a current legal decision. However, I don't think that this is a historical thing. I think this one is, is uniquely Western, and, and I don't know how much this is in the, in the other parts of the world, but I think it might be uniquely American. Hmm. And so I think we're, we're kind of bringing in our own culture on that one and, and acting like the Bible, like it's these, these old judgments and we, can, and we can call upon these old judgments to inform the here and now. And I, I just kind of don't think it works like that. But yeah, I think that would explain why people are doing that. They're, they're just kind of bringing in their cultural understanding and then applying it to scripture, which is never really a great idea. You should always look at what scripture it was saying and to who it was talking, to whom it was talking and what it meant to those people. Right. Moving on, this idea, and this is one that uh, I actually, so every now and then, so Mama Bear Apologetics came about because there, I had a nickname called Mama Hill. <laughs> Because if someone is absolutely in the wrong, and it's like, I, I'm usually very balanced, very fair. I try to see both points of view. If someone is just absolutely misrepresenting something or is attacking someone who's vulnerable, you will see this other person come out that is not mean, but I will definitely make the point known to where you cannot disagree. So <laughs> it's anyway, very clear. <laughs> it becomes very clear what my thoughts are on this. So we, I had this one leveled against me or, or leveled against one of the Christian groups that you and I are both in. So here, here's a, a comment that someone made. So again, the, this point is, if you doubt that he will, that is equivalent to doubting that he can. And this is what this person said. If you are an apologist and are worried that God will be embarrassed by an unwise exercise of bold faith, because, you know, that's what we're all against. We're right. all against exercises of bold faith. God can take care of himself. In any case, believing in the resurrection already makes you an idiot in the eyes of the world. Own it. When was the last time you got out of your head and believed God's word was applicable to real life? Here, here's another one from, I'm not sure if this is Instagram or Twitter, but it's, uh, let's echo. It says, doubt, saying she won't be raised, breeds negativity. Faith brings life. Yeah, you can't say anything against it. And, and that's one mm. thing that was kind of sad is there were people that were genuinely offering empathy and encouragement to these parents on Instagram. They're saying, I'm so, so sorry for your loss. We'll be praying for you mm. and your family during this holiday season. And people shot back and were just mean. How dare you, you know, say that? And where's your faith? And you're saying that God can't do this. And it's, it's no, that's not what it is at all. That's it's what's called a non sequitur. It's where you draw the wrong conclusion based on the premises. They're just offering empathy. They're not saying God is incapable. They're just saying that, you know yeah. what, maybe this is God. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. This idea of doubting that God will is equivalent to doubting that he can is... I mean, again, this is God we're talking about. It's like whenever I try to get people to understand how we can't understand the mind of of God, I just want to ask all the men, who understands the mind of their wife? (laughs) That's often the joke, too, with the guys. It's like, oh, women, who can understand them? 
I know. If you can't understand a woman, why do you think you're going to understand God? And so this idea that uh, we we understand everything and uh, anyway, so the problem with this is this replaces faith with certainty. And again, this is where you have to muster up that those emotions, those feelings of certainty. And like the the Crystal Research Journal article that I just did on if I feel it, it's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is essentially what's going on. If people can convince themselves that something is true and they can they can get those feelings yeah. up of that this is true, this is going to happen, then that's going to make it true. Mm-hmm. But what happens is if this if it doesn't pan out, the thing that they are placing their faith in, if it doesn't pan out, they are going to have a way bigger crisis of faith than if they had just asked for God's will and had faith no matter how he answered, just saying, you are on the throne. And again, as apologists, this is what we're trying to do. We're not trying to win arguments. We're not trying to poo-poo everything. We're trying to remove barriers to faith. And if we see something serious that we're like, man, this could wreck someone's faith unnecessarily, Mm -hmm. then we have to speak out against that. Yeah. And I mean, again, like I have a history of cancer and even today I was waiting for results on MRI because I'm having some weird symptoms again. Thankfully, they they said they didn't see any tumors. So praise God. But at the same time, I pray over myself and anyone who asks me to pray with them. I pray the same prayer or at least not the exact same prayer, but I include this passage in the prayer. And this is from Daniel 3, 17 through 18. It's when uh, uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being prosecuted is the right word, but uh, they're being for not bowing. Yeah, yeah, for not bowing to the idol. And they're saying, we're going to put you in the flame, the the fiery furnace. This is how Daniel answers. And this is how I always answer when I pray about things that are kind of scary is uh, he says to the king, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And here's the kicker. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the idol of gold you have set up. Mm. And a lot of times in my prayer, I say, even if you will not, I will not bow my knee to another. Mm. And this right here, I think is the accurate response to when tragedy is coming or when suffering is coming or when something that you're not sure about is we say God is absolutely able to, but even if he does not, and if we don't emphasize that even if he does not, then there are people who are going to misunderstand that he has guaranteed and promised something that he has not promised. Yeah. And you're right. It's And that's what you see throughout the the whole ordeal is it's that first part that's emphasized is he can mm-hmm. and he's going to. Yeah. And you don't get that last just, part of, you know, it's okay if he doesn't, because I still know. And that's what they were kind of biting at people. They were saying, oh, well, that's just your opinion or you're judging or you're, we don't need that negativity. And there were so many weird things thrown around. Okay. So the next one is a direct quote from the mother of Olive, which again, we want to extend our deepest sympathies to her because I cannot imagine. And actually, Amy, you can imagine. Well, and even with a, a miscarriage for the ones born, I think it's even to some extent, it's not quite as much as if it's, you know, a two-year-old that you've been, you know, yeah. tending to. So yeah, yeah, I mean, to to a smaller scale. Yeah, I, I definitely empathize. And that's what's so funny is, is reading this is like, oh my gosh, you know, I think at some point during that whole process, I said each and every one of those things is yes, you can, mm. you can do this. You have the power, you have the ability. Is going to be an amazing testimony if you would. It's just the only difference is is just sitting there and realizing. But you know what? It's going to be okay, and I'm still blessed, yeah. and I'm still loved, and I'm so grateful for every moment. Even, and I think that's one thing that we'll hit on a bit is a life doesn't have to be long to be good. And I mean, yeah. every moment you have is a blessing. We're not promised the future. What we have is is what we have, and and that gratefulness. But. Anyway, I I digress. So this point is the idea that Christ's payment of sin and promise of resurrection is for the here and now. And this is when I was in the hospital last year. Like a lot of the verses I'm going to read are the ones that were told to me while I'm sitting there in the hospital after my sister had just died. Mm -hmm. So this is the original, I think it's the original post by, I I can't even begin to pronounce this last name. You want to give it a shot? Oh, Heiligenthal. Heiligenthal, I think is how you say it. Kaylee. So Callie. Callie. Heiligenthal. So this is what she had, uh, this is the mother of Olive. And again, our deepest sympathies that, um, yeah. We believe in Jesus who died and conclusively defeated every grave, holding the keys to resurrection power. This is true, but again, not the way I think she is saying. 
We need it for our little olive. We are asking for bold, unified prayers from the global church to stand with us in belief that he will raise our little girl back to life. Her time here is not done. And it is our time to believe boldly and with confidence, wield what Jesus Christ paid for. It is time for her to come back to life. It's so hard because you do, you feel that weight there. And it's, yeah. it's just this pleading of, you know, she's, she's lost, but we're just asking this right now for, for her to come back. And there's nothing wrong with asking for a miracle. No, absolutely not. But it was just kind of how it evolved and what it turned into that became an issue. Yeah, the the things that I highlighted in this one is this idea of defeating every grave and holding the keys to resurrection Mm -hmm. power, which I believe is true. But again, our our point here is that Christ's payment of sin and and promise of resurrection is for the here and now. And no, that's that's not what scripture teaches. The second thing is that we stand stand with us in belief. Mm -hmm. Again, this is faith in faith. Her time here is not done. That's not for us to say. And then wield what Jesus Christ paid for. This idea that Jesus paid for us to have a good, you know, 90 years here on earth. No, that's not what he paid for. And so here's some of the verses that were being lobbed to support this. This is Corinthians 15, 12 through 14. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is worthless and so is your faith. We saw a lot of these, just as a disclaimer, we saw a lot of these verses being used by the the commentators and that sort of thing. So again, this isn't necessarily an official endorsement by the Bethel Church itself. These were actually spoken Mm -hmm. by uh, some of the believers as well as others who were following along. These were the verses they were appealing to, to justify this Mm -hmm. understanding of scripture. I I, want to clarify, what is this scripture referring to? We talked a little bit before about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the Sadducees, there was like a song that I used to sing at, you know, Christian camp about, uh, I don't want to be a Sadducee because the Sadducee is sad. Oh my gosh. It's like, why is the Sadducee sad? The Sadducee is sad because he does not believe that there's any resurrection from the dead. Basically, when you die, poof, you're gone, nothing. And so this is actually in in a response to this idea of people saying there's no ultimate resurrection. Mm. And it's not saying people saying, well, there's no such thing as resurrection in the here and now. This is a completely different topic, and it's it's addressing a completely different aspect. And so when people are saying, oh, if you say that God's not going to resurrect this little girl, that means you don't believe in resurrection. That is patently false. We absolutely, if, if you are an Orthodox Christian, you believe in resurrection on the last day. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily believe that he's going to resurrect you just so you can die again, so that you can have a nice full 90 years. Yeah. Well, and that's what, and it was interesting because I, I saw that specifically in, in one comment here. It says, it is not, it is never God's will that anyone die of anything other than old age and long life. Oh, and it's just golly. like, oh my goodness, you know, what does that, what does that do to folks <sighs> who have lost someone young or? Well, I can tell you exactly what it does to folks because my sister had this lobbed at her through all her final, uh, she, she struggled, her cancer journey, I think was minimum of four years, I think. And towards the end, she was having people telling her, if you just had more faith, that if you had enough faith, then you're going to be healed. And there was a woman that was coming by to pray with her and started saying all this stuff to to her. And my sister's husband found out about it. And he told her in no uncertain terms that she was not welcome in their home again, because it was really messing with my sister's head. Yeah. Thinking, well, what am I doing? Am I not having enough faith? It was, oh, yeah, you want to see someone go mama bear. I, I flipped out on that one. My sister was one of those godly, faithful women mm-hmm. that I know, just faithful to the end. If there's anyone who, looked, who could suffer, who showed what it looked like to suffer well, it was her. For someone to say that, oh, you don't have enough faith, I'm sorry, I'm going to go ape. It just um, reminds you of Job, anyway. doesn't it? Like Job's friends, like they did so well um, at the beginning. And, you know, hearing <sighs> your stories, it's one thing I was so grateful for. Like through our situation, I had the, the ladies of the church they were like Job's friends at the beginning. They just came and they sat there. And the most comforting thing they said is, I've been there too. I mean, that's all mm. they said. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. You know, someone has walked through this valley and made it on the, made it on the other side and they can still laugh and still have joy and everything. And so it's, I had the blessing of having folks who were from the beginning, very supportive, like Job's friends at the beginning where they just sat with him. And here, you know, you get, you experience and your sister experienced that other side where they're trying to, mm-hmm. okay, well, let me just sort of try to figure this situation out and offer my two cents. 
The one friend of Job's that was not rebuked is the one that's basically, what are you doing? God is God. Stop mm-hmm. it. He basically says everything that, that it took me years. In fact, it wasn't just till like the last couple of years that I realized that's the one friend that wasn't rebuked by God. Um, he was the youngest one, wasn't he? he? Was, say he what? Was, he was the yeah, youngest one. Yeah, he was one. the youngest one. Yeah. So anyway, let's talk about this idea. So another one that I, again, I had this one given to me while I was in the hospital right after my sister had died was the prophecy from Isaiah 53 that talks about, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds, we are healed. Mm -hmm. And this concept of by his wounds, we are healed meant I'm healed from everything. I can declare victory over cancer. I can declare victory over my kidney problems. And this is such a gross misunderstanding of what it is that we're being healed from. And so I just wanted to point out a couple of verses again that I haven't heard um, people talking about. This is one verse that I actually back, I, I had him in, when I was in something in college, we would send letters to people that were suffering from like cancer and stuff. And this is before I had it. And this was one of the verses that I always said, because to me, this was hopeful. Mm. And it was 2 Corinthians 4.16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Mm. So it's this expectation that outwardly we're wasting away. And then this next one, I'm actually going to read it in a version I wouldn't normally read it in because I think it's a little hard to understand. So I'm going to read it in the, the, I think it's the New Living Translation. This is Romans 8, 19 through 25. So th- this is important to, and especially the very last line in this. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day, future when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, Mm -hmm. the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay, meaning we're still under death and decay mm-hmm. right now. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory. We long for our bodies to, we long, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised Mm us. We were given this hope when we were saved. I'm going to say that again. We were given this hope when we were saved. And if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. So it's saying we're hoping for this Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that we've received it. It means we're hoping. And I think one of the other verses that says for who... Who hopes for something they already have? But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Mm. So what do you think that, what is the main crux of what this is saying, Amy? It's pointing to that this hope is not necessarily an earthly hope, that this hope is when we are transformed and renewed when we are within the presence of God. Yeah. And I absolutely believe that's going to happen. I am looking forward probably more than most people to my new body, really looking forward to that. But I fully understand that that's not now. Mm -hmm. And I still, in the meantime, I still have to go get MRIs. I still have to go get PET scans. I still have to go get endoscopy and colonoscopies because my body is in bondage to death and decay right now. Mm -hmm. And even though it's like, I kind of feel like the Lord's told me that cancer is not going to be a part of my story again. It's like, that's just kind of this feeling that I've had. I'm not going to place my hope and my faith in that. If he chooses to make it part of my story again, you know what? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's from Job as well. It reminds me of when we were in Germany, we had some some friends in our church who had had a a family friend of theirs pass away. They had been struggling with, you know, how to explain this to the kids and because they had been in prayer for her healing. And they said, you know, we're, they finally sat the kids down and explained, well, you know, we had been praying for her healing, but she passed away. And one of their, I, I don't know how old he was, he must've been like seven or eight. And he looked up and he was like, well, you know, why are, why are you sort of sad? God did answer. He granted her healing. She's restored. She's with him right now. And I- Oh, I, from the mouths of right? children. And I mean, it was just something that really struck her and hit her that we forget that you know, ultimately our goal is heaven. Our, our motivation is heaven. We get so caught up in, in earthly healings and that sort of thing. But, you know, sometimes that finish line, that reward is, 
is way, is the option and it is going to be um, what's going to happen. And I just, I, I love that story when she told it because it is, it's just these kids are, kids are wise beyond their years at times. Oh yeah. We're kind of running out of time. So I don't think we're going to be able to go through these last two. I'll just briefly just remind us what they were. This idea that Christ commanded us to heal the sick and raise the dead. Eh, this is one of those things that people debate on whether or not he was commanding this of the apostles and this was just an apostolic gift or whether or not it's for everyone. Too much to go into here. But then the last one is we're entitled to a long life. Mm. And I think if we have learned anything from the deaths of the apostles yeah. and the deaths of the first century Christians and the ones under Nero, it's that we are not entitled and we're not guaranteed. And, and just the persecuted worldwide church, we are not guaranteed a long, happy life, but we are guaranteed eternal life. So those are those two things. But I want to go back to the, the story that you just said. And I want to, uh, about this idea of is, is healing coming? And this is something that I'm not sure if I've told you about or not. And this is a very personal story, but I, I think it's going to really wrap this up well. One of the things that was really disturbing when my sister was passing is this thing that I call the death face. And the only reason why I recognized it is because I saw it in my grandmother mm. before she died. And she did live a very long life. It's kind of like where the jaw goes slack mm. and it's like the head's back and the mouth is open. And it's just and usually the person by this time, if they're if they're dying from natural causes, it's or, or natural causes as in cancer can be a natural cause, too. Mm. They've gotten so gaunt and they've stopped eating that it's it's almost like looking at uh, someone from the Holocaust. Yeah. I, I had to have some therapy to re release some of the images that I saw while my sister was passing. But I remember asking the Lord, Lord, I want to see the moment when she sees your face. Because mm. I've heard stories of people where all of a sudden they just get this big smile on their face yeah. and then they're gone. And I'm like, I want to be there for that moment. But my sister is one of those private people. She... I, and so I remember after she passed thinking, oh, wow, like I, I didn't get to see that. I guess I guess that's not for everyone. And I was really, really bummed. And her face was still kind of that, you know, jaw open, stuff like that. About an hour later, my nephew says, look, she's smiling. Oh. And so I thought, oh, well, mom moved her face. Mm -hmm. And mom's like, no, I think your dad moved her face. And dad was like, I think Mark moved it. And I talked to all of them and nobody had touched mm -hmm. her. And my mom just burst into tears mm -hmm. and she said, God has restored her beauty because oh. it's like she just had this sweet smile on her face. Yeah, that serenity. And, uh, yeah. And it was like, that's the healing. Yeah. She was healed and she's in glory. Mm. And we got to see it on her face. Mm. And even though I didn't get to see the exact moment that it happened, like I wanted to, again, I laughed because like my sister was extremely stubborn <laughs> and a lot of times in a good way, but also very private. And so, of course, she wouldn't let us share in that moment, but we got to see it nonetheless. We got to see that peace. Mm. And to me, that was a gift that the Lord gave me because I know other people who, um, well, I won't go into that. Anyway, so again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just re remind us real quick of the seven points that we went through here is the idea to distinguish between leadership and the followers. Mm. Number two, faith in faith more than faith in God is a bad idea. <laughs> We're not called to have faith in faith. We're have, called to have faith in God and His goodness and His will and His sovereignty and the fact that He is God and we are not going to understand everything. Number three, this misconception that we can declare God's will and He is bound to our declarations. Absolutely not true. We do not serve a trained poodle that bows to our whim when we tell it what to do. That is not the God that we serve. And if we did, I would not want to worship him. <laughs> Number four, if you doubt that God will, that's equivalent to doubting that he can. Absolutely not. Do not let people tell you this. You stand in the promises of God that he is God no matter what. Number five, Christ's payment of sin and promise of resurrection is for the here and now. That's false. It is, is our eternal resurrection. And uh, we have to take verses within context and also look at history. Number six, Christ commanded us to heal the sick and raise the dead, which we didn't get much into. And number seven, we are entitled to a long life. Just look at the church, just read through church history and, and look at who the faithful saints were and you will see that this was not the case. Mm -hmm. But again, we want to acknowledge again and again that we do not blame any parent that is grasping for whatever they can when they experience the death of a child, because mm -hmm. that is... That is not something we can judge. However, we do need to address ideas that have literally gone out globally that are going to be affecting people's faith. And we need to speak truth 
with love and graciousness into that, but we need to speak truth into those ideas, lest anyone be held captive Mm. by bad ideas. Gosh, amen. (laughs) So uh, would you pray us out, Ames? Father, thank you that we can gather together and in humility and grace, but also in truth, discuss these issues. Lord, thank you that you are totally powerful and completely in control because I wouldn't want it any other way. None of us would. We, we all mess up our lives daily. And to have you constantly in control is, is incredible. Thank you, Lord, that you don't always remove the fire, but you're standing with us in it at times. And that's one thing that we can just take so much comfort in that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were speaking of is you have this power, but you may call us home. And, but what's most important is to, is who we're with is who we, who we have beside us. And I want the Savior. We want the Savior, Lord. So we pray for this family, for this church, Lord, that they are healing from the loss of this little one. And Father God, we are so grateful that she is with you. I just can't imagine what things that she's seeing right now. And gosh, it, it is, it's what we're all hoping for. It's what we are here for. It's why we tell other people about your love and your grace is so that they one day will be able to experience the joy of being in your eternal presence, Lord. So we are thank you. Yes, God. We thank you so much that she's with you. And we pray for these families, Lord, that they are able to speak truth in their kiddos, that if there's someone who's struggling or is going through a similar situation, Lord, that they know that, that we're here for them, that they have folks who are loving on them and walking with them and willing to journey with them. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will just encourage them and help them to see that they can still have joy even though they're in this valley. In your holy name, amen. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, mama bears. We are all in this together.